This is the first Sunday of, of Lent this year. And, and during Lent, we focus on a couple of things. We focus on our brokenness, and, and in particular, our sinfulness. During Lent, we recognize that we are people who have sinned against God. We've turned our backs on God. We haven't done what he calls us to do. And so we focus on the brokenness of this world, but we also focus, and perhaps even more importantly, we focus on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The hope that he died for us rose again. And, and particularly, we, we focus on the, on the cross, that through the cross, Jesus died to give us new life. And, and the Christian life is one of dying and rising. It's one of sufferings and glory. It's one of, of following Jesus down this broken road and finding life at the end of it. And so we're calling this series Hope in a Broken World. And what we're going to be looking at are a few passages from 1 Peter. The Apostle Peter, who was one of the close uh, disciples of Jesus, he wrote two letters. We're going to look at just parts of the first one and uh, see what Peter has to say to us. Peter, 1 Peter especially is a book that focuses on how do we handle the troubles in our world? How do we handle the brokenness of our world? How do we find hope in a broken world? This morning, I want to just look at four verses from chapter one with you. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 to 9. This is what we read. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end, the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to start with a, a question this morning, and it might sound a little odd at first, but I think you'll understand why it's an important one, and we'll see that, that what Peter teaches us, I think, is extremely important. Because if we get the answer to this question wrong, we can cause great damage to ourselves and great damage to the people around us, all right? So here's the question I want to think about with you. For a Christian, what is the relationship between joy and grief? What is the relationship right now in our lives between joy and grief, between celebrating and suffering? How do those things connect, or is there no connection at all? You see, some Christians would say, look, it's all joy and no grief, because Jesus Christ is alive. We know we have the victory. All things are being made new, and it's going to be great. We know God is in control, and we know Paul has called us to rejoice in the Lord always, Philippians 4. Again, he says, I will say it, rejoice. And so we should always just be rejoicing. And if something bad happens, well, God is in control, so it'll be good. You lose a loved one, they're home, they're better off. Something breaks in your, in your life, something, your health or whatever, just praise God for it. Some Christians say it's all joy, no grief. Some Christians, on the other hand, say that it's, it's mostly grief with only a little bit of joy. And the reason for that is because you're all dirty, rotten sinners. You're all wretches. You're all horrible. And you're all bad people who made Jesus go to the cross. Yeah, you can be happy that he died for you. But in reality, you don't understand how rotten you are. You are sinners in the hands of an angry God. I heard a few of those sermons growing up. Some Christians say that we move from joy to grief to joy to grief. That they sort of follow. And some days we're happy and some days we're sad. And some days we're happy and some days we're sad. 
I want to suggest that Peter tells us something different and, and something that is, I think, very challenging and, and that requires faith in Jesus Christ to do. Because I think what Peter is pointing us to here is that, is that for Christians, we should feel joy and grief at the same time. We say, well, no, hold on. It's one or the other because one is good and one is sad. One is up and one is down. And, and, and so which one do we feel? They're, no, it's not a contradiction. It's a paradox of the Christian life that what we say is we live with the greatest of joys. Christians should be the happiest people on planet Earth. But I think we should also live with the deepest of sorrows. And we should be the weepiest people of all the earth. And, and that, that it's not a contradiction to say we do both at the same time, that we live reality of hope, reality of brokenness. Let me kind of unpack this for you and show you what Peter is saying about this. So the relationship between joy and grief. First of all, uh, Peter makes clear that Christians are people who, who should feel great joy. I mean, of anybody, we have every reason to rejoice. Verse 6, he says, in all this, you greatly rejoice. You celebrate. Jesus Christ is alive. In all of this, you, well, what's this? What's the this there? Well, it goes back to to verses 3, 4, and 5. The the good news that, that Peter has shared. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are people who have hope. Jesus Christ, he said, we greatly rejoice in this. We've got, you know, new birth into a living hope and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It is fully guaranteed It will never be taken away from us. It's going to be great someday. We have that hope. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says we celebrate because we have a hope that is fully guaranteed. And no matter what happens to me today, I know one day it's going to be good. I know one day everything's going to be set right. I know that Jesus Christ holds on to me, and I have that hope. And on the one hand, that means I have joy in the midst of even struggles. In in, in verse 8, Peter says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with, again, an inexpressible and glorious joy. We are people who know that Jesus Christ has died and risen again. We are people who know that one day it's going to be all right. We are people who live with hope. And because of that hope, we are people who live with joy. But Christians are people who also feel deep grief. Again, back to verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now, though now for a little while you, have made to, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And, and it kind of sounds like that. You may have, you may not have. No, it, it, it's, it really, trust me, in, in the Greek, it's you have had to suffer. You have had to suffer grief. And I think it's interesting that Peter, in some ways, goes out of his way to make clear that he's talking about suffering grief. He could have just said, you have endured trials. No, he makes it clear that when Christians go through trials, we suffer grief. And the word that he uses there means severe sorrow or searing pain. When we lose loved ones, when relationships break up, for us as Christians, that is painful, and it brings us deep grief. And so we are people who who recognize that, who live with that, and we feel deep grief over our own struggles, 
Sometimes over our own sinfulness, right? When I look at the, the person that I am not, when I look at the, the fact that God has set me free to love my neighbor, to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I look at how selfish I can be sometimes. When I look at some of the words that I say that hurt the people around me, when I think about the times that I've just missed the opportunity to care for people around me, and I just, I just weep, I get grieve. I am not who I want to be, and it makes me mad, and it makes me sad. And, and I go through difficult times. And those are real things, and they're bad, and they hurt. And I experience that grief in my own life but also in the struggles of others. If I'm a Christian, I have a tender heart, and I care about you. And when something is broken in your life, I weep with you. I hurt with you. And so we grieve. And, and, and I just want you to know that Christians are people. Good Christians weep. It's interesting to see how much crying there is in the New Testament. I mean, this is a book of hope. This is a book of joy. This is a book of, of, of great gladness. But there is still so much crying. Jesus himself, when Lazarus died, John 11, verse 35, what did Jesus do? He wept. And the word that's there for wept is he bawled like a baby because it hurt to lose a loved one. It just is pain. And again, Jesus, Hebrews says, for the joy set before him endured all this. Joy, but deep grief. Luke tells us that when Jesus was coming into Jerusalem at one point, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he just wept over it. He saw all the pain. He saw all the hard-heartedness. He saw all the brokenness. He saw all that was wrong. And Jesus just wept. The night that he was betrayed, we're not told that he wept, but I think he probably was. Matthew says this, then Jesus said to them, and that's Peter, James, and John. Okay, so Peter, who wrote this, saw Jesus weeping several times, and Jesus said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with, excuse me, with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus wept because that's what we do in a broken world. That's the reality. Paul wept. I, I, again, I could do this for a long time, but I, I just was thinking, I want you to know that Paul wept. For, for I wrote you, Paul says, to the Corinthians, out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears. Paul was just struggling with that congregation and seeing the struggles that they were going through and seeing some of the sins they were committed to. And he said, I, just, I was just weeping when I wrote that letter. And not to grieve you, but to let you know my depth of my love for you, all right? So Christians weep. In fact, Tim Keller suggests that it's only because we have hope that we can actually enter into the depths of grief of this world, right? We can, it's then that we can acknowledge it. The fact is, if I don't know God's love, I really don't want to peel the onion back that shows me who Ron Cool is at his worst. It's only in the context of God's love. It's only in the context of hope. Because if I don't have hope, if I don't have love, if I don't know that that's there, I don't want to enter into your pain because it's just going to get depressing. But in the context of the hope we have. So people, uh, Christians are people who feel joy, grief, and we feel them at the same time. It's not one or the other. It, it's both of them at the same time. We are people who feel joy and grief, or grief and joy. Again, verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, 
today, now, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Again, today, these are things that are going on. Jump ahead to chapter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. You live in a broken world, but rejoice. In the midst of that struggle, rejoice. Christians are people who feel great joy and great sorrow at the same time. Now, a couple of things to try to kind of flush that out a little bit, flesh that out a little bit. It's not always in equal amounts. <laughs> I mean, I suppose if we had perfect faith and, and perfect compassion, we could say, yep, I'm 100% joyful and 100% grief, grieving at all the time. But for the most part, given the realities of this broken world and the realities of who we are, there are going to be some days where joy predominates, right? <laughs> There are going to be some days where it's like, this is just a really good day. And my joy is at 98% and my grief is down at 20. And it's just a good celebration, all right? But there are going to be other days when my grief is at 98. And my joy is down to five. And that's okay. Okay, I'm not, that, I, 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 that, that happens. There are times when the bottom falls out. There are times when just those worst things happen to us. And it seems like darkness is our only friend, as Psalm 88 says. There are those times where it's hard to hold on to any hope. But even at those times, we can know it's not the end. It's not the end. And we might experience deep grief and not a lot of joy in that moment. But we know we can come back. Our joy is always impacted by sorrow because we live in a broken world. And, and, and let me tell you why I think, one of the things I, reasons I think that's important. It, it, it has to do, and I think many of you do this really, really well, so I'm not yelling at anybody here. But it has to do with sometimes how we celebrate. How we celebrate. Because you see, the day that I have a healthy baby born or a healthy grandchild born, somebody else lost a baby. The day that my child escaped a bad accident and, and, and survived, it's also a time where somebody else's child died. And, and, and again, somehow I need to be able to hold on to both. And in Christ, I can to recognize that I am thankful and we should be. I'm so thankful that my child was spared this. I'm so thankful one day it's going to be all right and everything's going to be perfect. But I'm also aware that we're not there yet. And so when we celebrate good things, we do so always with that awareness. Again, not to say, well, you better not be too happy. No, go ahead, celebrate. That's why I think this is important, because we need to be learned to be people who say, yeah, let's celebrate the good gifts, and let's weep together and cry together, and we'll carry each other along, okay? But our joy is always impacted by sorrow, and our sorrow is always impacted by joy, because there is always hope. There's always that hope. We know that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back. Christians are people who feel great joy and deep grief at the same time. And I think that's sort of the challenge that Peter is talking about here. As you walk down this road, as you face troubles, as you face suffering, don't lose hope, but don't pretend they don't hurt. Don't lose hope, but don't pretend they don't hurt. So, Peter goes on and he answers one other question. I, I think the question of how do we have some grief and our joy is pretty easy because this is just a broken world. But I think what Peter does is he, he talks a little bit in these verses about how do we have some joy in our grief 
I think that's the bigger challenge for us. When we feel overwhelmed, when we're aware of the brokenness, when we're in the valley, how do we find some joy? How do we, how do we remember that? Four things that Peter gives us, and I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. But four things. The first one is this. We remember that our troubles do not last forever. But hope has the last word. Jesus has the last word. New life has the last word. Again, back to six. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you suffer. You may have had to suffer grief for a little while. Now, some of you might want to say, Peter, can I talk to you about what a little while means? Because I don't think you know what it means. A little while doesn't mean 40 years. A little while doesn't mean the rest of my life. Peter would say, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Because Peter knows that our lives here compared to eternity are short. And we have to remember, even if this grief is going to last for the rest of my life, again, it's a deep grief. I, please hear me. You feel it. We own it. We cry. We weep. But we know that hope has the last word. And this is short compared to, to the eternity we're going to have. And we can hang on to hope. And we can say, you know what? God will not let me go because I will see that person again. God will not let me go until it's all right and I have that inheritance again. And so we remember, first of all, that the troubles do not last, but hope has the last word. Hope, hope, hope is what brings us joy. Second, and this one we have to be a little bit careful with, but it's one of the themes of the Bible, and it's one that I, I, in some ways I don't like to preach on it, but I think it's important for us to recognize this. It's that we remember that God can use our troubles in grief. The Bible makes clear that we can grieve in our grief, but the Bible also makes clear that God can use those things to shape us and to strengthen us. Now, this is one of the things we have to be careful about. This doesn't make bad things good. The Bible says God brings good things out of bad things, but bad things are bad things. And God doesn't say, well, I want Ron to get this lesson, so hey, I'll have one of his kids get sick and die. Now, that's not how it works, friends. But God can use those things. And part of what we need to ask is, is to recognize and, and to think about is to say, God, what might you be doing in this? What, and I, I, God, how can I grow in this? And, and I don't want to say, what lesson can I learn? Because then we say, God, if I learn it quickly, will you take it away? No, how do I grow through this? How do I learn through this? Verse 7 talks about this. These troubles have come. Why? So that the proven genuineness of your faith, and then he talks about faith. He says, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, that your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We're going to come back to that last line, so I'm going to gray that out, all right? But what I want to pick up on is the image that Peter uses here, and it's one that's used throughout Scripture and that is that troubles are often refining fires. And in this case, he's talking about gold. With gold, again, I'm not a goldsmith, but what happens is it comes out of the ground and it's not pure. It's not, it's not pure gold. And so you, you refine it, you heat it, you melt it, and, and the impurities rise, and then you can take them off. But it separates out those things. And, 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 and then when it's done, it proves that it's genuine. And, and, and so for us, in the analogy, our faith is like gold. He says it's worth more. But if you picture it, our faith is like gold. Our trust in Jesus Christ is like gold. And our troubles are like refining fires. These things can, 
can help to, to, to strengthen us, to, to purify us, to show us where we're weak. Again, don't go to somebody who's in the midst of a, a struggle and say, well, God's teaching you something. What is he teaching you? No, by God's grace, we simply, in humility, ask ourselves, and maybe we can figure out a gracious way to help. But, but God, this is a pain. I might as well try to use it. What might I learn? Again, not why did you send this, but what might I learn? How, how can this... And, and, and friends, there are things we learn. Sometimes it's just humility of recognizing that we can't stand on our own. For me, over the last number of years, the stuff I've gone through, probably the biggest lesson I've learned is, God, I, I have to trust you without knowing. It's living with the unknown. I like to know. I, I like to understand and I don't understand some things. I don't understand some things that have happened. And it's so hard. Because I want to say, God, well, then just give me a reason. Point out why. And I think part of what God wants me to learn, or what I can learn through this, is, is that i got to trust God even when I don't understand what's going on. It doesn't mean I like it. It doesn't mean it's good. But I will trust him. For some of us, troubles soften our hearts help us to be more compassionate. Sometimes troubles can show us when we've been depending on something that's not God. <laughs> and we've been depending on our security to, for our, our money or our reputation. And when a trouble knocks those things away, we realize, God, it's just you that I need. And, and so again, it doesn't make them good, but they can purify us. They can shape us. And I think one of the biblical questions, and, and to say, okay, God, I, I, I want to oh, shape me and mold me while I'm in the fire. I'm going to be here. Might as well learn something. And to say, okay, God, I know that you will make me more into the image of Jesus Christ. And I know that as I hold on through this, my faith will be proven real. It will be proven genuine. That I didn't give up. That I held on to Jesus Christ. We can remember that God can use our troubles and our grief. Again, it doesn't make bad things good. That's where we get mixed up and messed up with some of this stuff. So we remember that God can use our troubles and grief. Third, we remember that our faithfulness can bring, through suffering brings glory to God. Again, back to verse 7. And this time we're going to gray out the, the middle section. But these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Friends, when we are faithful through struggles, when we are faithful and say I will continue to surrender to Jesus. I will continue to put my faith in him. I will trust him not knowing where we're going. When we do that, on the day Jesus comes back, it's like we get to offer those things to Jesus. We bring praise to him. We bring glory to him. And again, not because I get to say, look at what I brought. Look at how good I did, Jesus. No, it's, it's just saying, thank you, Jesus. And I've tried to be faithful. And here you go. And I think, okay, God... If there's a gift I can give you out of this, I want to do that. Again, it hurts. I'm weeping. But, but I'm also recognizing that God can use these things to bring praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. All right, so three things. First, again, troubles don't last forever. God can use these things. And, and our faithfulness through suffering brings glory to God. And the fourth is we remember that Jesus is always with us especially in the fires. We were saying about that earlier. If I'm in the fire, I know you're there with me. 
And that's the way it is. In, in, in Peter, one of the things that he talks about, and, and it's a pattern throughout the whole book, is that as followers of Jesus, we, we take follow in his steps, right? Jesus suffers first. We follow in his path. And because he's been there, we know he's before us, he's beside us, and he's behind us. He is with us in those flames. There is bright hope for tomorrow. I know someday it's going to be okay. But in the meantime, I also know that Jesus will never let me go. And again, I'm still weeping, but I am holding on to that fact that I know even when I don't see him, he's working. Even when I don't feel him, he's with me. Verse 11, I didn't read it yet, but it talks about how the Old Testament prophets talked about Jesus. And, and Peter says, you know, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. Sufferings and glory. And that becomes the pattern of the Christian life. I die so that Christ can live in me. And, and, and I know that he's with me in my death because he's been walking down this path. He knows pain even deeper than I do. So we remember that Jesus is always with us. So there, there are the four. Christians are people who I think live with that amazing hope and that deep grief. And somehow we have both. It's a mystery, okay? I don't, I don't exactly get it, but I think... We do this, and I think what this means is we're also so gracious with each other that on the day when I'm just filled with that hope and you're struggling with your grief, you can celebrate with me, but I can also say, I know you can't see it right now, but I'm believing for you, I'm hoping for you, I'm with you because we're a body in Christ. All right, let's wrap it up as we come to the table here. This is a a, a great picture, right? We come to the table and, and, and we do this in different ways, right? As we come to the table, we come with deep grief. I grieve my sinfulness. I grieve the brokenness of this world. I grieve the fact that Jesus had to die because I am a sinner. And, and, and we take this and we come with grief. And, and for some of us, we grew up in churches where that was the main tone and, and we would take, and that's legitimate, that's important to just be quiet and reflect on, on, the, on the need for Jesus. We come with great grief, but we also come with great joy because we are forgiven, friends, because Jesus died and he paid it all and he said, this is for you and all your sins are washed away and he rose again from the dead and he's waiting to celebrate this meal with us again. And so communion reminds us of that that dynamic of the Christian life that we die and live again, that we grieve and we rejoice at the same time, that it's all there in the cup, it's all there in the bread. And so as we come, we're going to sing a couple of songs. And the first one is a psalm of lament, Psalm 126. And let that maybe remind you of the grief. Restore us, O Lord, but also the hope. We will go out with joy. And then we will sing about our glorious day. And we will celebrate God's goodness.